Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. In 2017, Liberty German and Abigail Williams, affectionately referred to by family and friends as Libby and Abby, decided to take a day off school. It was Monday, February 13th, and the 14-year-old Libby and 13-year-old Abigail decided that they couldn't miss the chance to enjoy the unseasonably warm weather. Not to mention that day in particular was a makeup day, which are built into the school calendar just in the event that there's too much snow for kids to go to school. Libby and Abby were just two girls who, like many of us at that age, and still to this day as we get older and wiser, just could not stomach the idea of missing out on a wonderfully sunny day. After a little bargaining, a little gentle pleading and prodding, the two 8th grade girls convinced a family member to give them a ride to a scenic trail near Monon High Bridge, a bridge that crossed over Deer Creek in Indiana. At around 1 p.m., the girls jumped out of the car and felt the warm and welcoming sun on their skin and joyfully set out on their little adventure, agreeing to be picked up at 3 p.m. only two hours later. Libby and Abby were out and about enjoying the feeling of the warm sun beating down on them, relishing in the fresh air, glad they hadn't gone to school. And a little after 2 p.m., an hour before they were to be picked up, Libby posted a video on Snapchat of Abby walking across the deserted bridge that crossed over Deer Creek. 3 p.m. soon arrived, as did their ride, but Libby and Abby hadn't. They weren't there at the pickup spot like it had been previously agreed upon. The family member picking up Libby and Abby wasn't immediately alarmed, though. Children and teenagers often lose track of time especially when they are getting excited, slowly and surely feeding off of one another's frenetic energy. So if two preteen girls didn't show up at exactly 3pm, it wouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. But then time started to tick by faster. And faster. Five minutes, then ten minutes, then an hour, and then two. It became plainfully obvious something was wrong. Something was undeniably and horribly wrong. Law enforcement were quickly called, but they weren't yet feeling the panic and anxiety that family and friends were, even as day turned to night, as the sun said goodbye, dipping lower and lower, and finally disappearing beyond the horizon. Police still weren't feeling the panic. A few hours had passed since Libby and Abby had failed to appear for their pickup. It was now night. The girls were nowhere to be found. They couldn't be reached on their cell phones. They had vanished. Carroll County Sheriff released a statement to the press saying that there was no reason to suspect foul play or to believe the girls were in imminent and immediate danger. But despite the reassurance of the sheriff, a massive search was launched but was soon called off after the darkness of the evening became too dense and dangerous to continue. The next day was Valentine's Day 
and as everyone was out rushing to buy flowers or prepare thoughtful surprises for their loved ones, volunteers were out searching for Libby and Abby, hoping to give the gift of relief to the German family and William's family. But as volunteers hollered the names of the young girls loudly through the park, one volunteer came across something that I hope none of you creeps ever have to witness. The volunteer had found the bodies of two young girls. The sheriff's department didn't identify the girls that same day, but rumors spread like a brush fire through town, burning the tips of everyone's tongues. And just as the townspeople had suspected, and just as friends and family had feared, on February 15th, following the conclusion of the autopsies on both young girls, a news conference was held. With the participation of both the state police and Carroll County Sheriff's Department, it was announced that the bodies of both Liberty German and Abigail Williams had been found. And the cause of death had been homicide. During the press conference held by state police and the sheriff's department, the Indiana State Police released a photo of a man seen walking along the trail at the same time as Libby and Abby. It seemed the murders hadn't been a sneak attack, but that the two girls had realized the danger they were in at that moment. As the Snapchat video posted earlier the day Libby and Abby had gone missing, captured a man at the far end of the bridge following them. In that image, the male appears to be a white man walking with his hands in his pocket. The man was wearing a blue jacket, jeans, and a hat pulled down close to his brow, and he was wearing either a long brown shirt or some version of a fanny pack. Using a grainy single-frame photo, a composite sketch was quickly requested by police and released to the public. Abby and Libby seemed to investigators to be aware of the danger and had made a clear attempt with surprising clarity and resourcefulness in that situation to try and capture evidence just in case something happened to them. Police stated that they were in fact seeking the man but only wished to speak to him. They were unwilling to name him as a suspect at the time. But the next day on February 16th, police were granted a search warrant for a home on Bicycle Bridge Road in connection with the murders. Police had received a tip, which resulted in the search warrant, but after their search had been conducted and no arrests were made, police stated that nobody at that home was being considered as an official suspect in the double murder. By February 29th, though, police were changing their attitude towards the man in the photo and shifted their vocabulary, referring to him as the main suspect in the murders. In a press release that day, Indiana State Police said, During the course of the investigation, preliminary evidence has led investigators to believe the person in the distributed photo is suspected of having participated in the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. No other details were given, though. No details on what preliminary evidence had been found, nor how it directly correlated to the man in the Snapchat video. A month had now passed, after the feverishly quick movement of the first week following the disappearance and murders of Libby and Abby, and despite how quickly police seemed to have responded with identifying the bodies and search warrants, things seemed to be slowing down. But in mid-March, police were granted a second search warrant, this time for the property of 77-year-old Ron Logan. The body of the two girls had been found on his property, after all. 
Ron Logan had been arrested and taken in earlier that same week on unrelated charges. And as it so happened, he was on probation for a 2014 conviction of driving under the influence and was found to be a habitual offender. He had been arrested earlier that week for violating his probation by driving to the county dump on the day Abby and Libby had been murdered. Ron Logan had also been spotted the very same day at a local restaurant drinking alcohol, which was the second violation of his probation related to drunk driving. That was all circumstantial, though, and barely even evidence to his possible involvement. People go to the dump every day, although not all of them are violating probation. His disregard for the agreement of his abstention from drinking as well as driving isn't damning evidence, certainly not enough to tarnish someone's reputation. Drinking and driving is a serious crime and can lead to death. But murdering two girls knowingly is an entirely different beast, and police knew this. Police were well aware that it was enough to perhaps ask him questions and keep an eye on him, but Ron Logan certainly wasn't the hook they were willing to hang their case by. In January 2018, Ron Logan was released on home detention after being held for his probation violation. Police also stated that he was not a suspect in the murders. Seeds of suspicion in the town of Delphi were starting to bloom as neighbor looked at neighbor, judging and calculating each other's actions and reactions to the case. It was a small town after all. It was likely that someone or definitely many people knew the killer. Perhaps you pulled up to the gas station next to them, waved at them walking down the street, unknowingly interacting with the man responsible for the death of Libby and Abby. Everyone in Delphi felt this suspicion more acutely and with more terrifying clarity each day. On February 22nd, authorities announced a $41,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in the case. And on that same day, police also released a short clip of audio believed to have been recorded by Libby of a man saying, Down the hill. Only a couple of days after the reward money was announced, the families of Libby and Abby were feeling the love not only of their community, but of people across the country as the reward money quickly exploded to $100,000, including a personal donation of $9,000 from a U.S. representative. Then again in early March, retired Indianapolis Colts punter Pat McAfee and Jim Ursay made another generous donation to the reward fund of $97,000, bringing the total to $200,000 to be rewarded to anyone who could give police any information leading to an arrest. The community support wasn't dwindling, in fact it was growing and growing and becoming overwhelming. As a creep peering into this case from the outside, and with you my creepy friend along with me, it's hard not to tear up, seeing these moments of pure humanity exploding in a community, coming together to support families and friends who have suffered a tragic loss, trying to bring them closure, but also a sense of comfort knowing their community supports them. 
Lowe's in Lafayette even started the Light Up Delphi initiative by donating 1,000 orange light bulbs for the residents of Delphi to install in their porch lamps to show solidarity and to pay tribute to Abby and Libby. And a Papa John's franchisee held a pizza fundraiser at the Delphi Community Middle School to collect yet even more money for the reward fund. Abby Williams and Libby German were members of their respective families. But this case, more than any other, reminds me of Heather Thomas, the girl who went missing in Cloverdale, British Columbia, the first case I ever covered and the subject of our first two episodes together. I can empathize with how the community felt. Abby and Libby were victims of murder, but the consequence of someone heinously taking their lives extended far beyond them. Their families lost them. Their friends lost them. The community had lost them. And every single person in Delphi, Indiana, lost their sense of security and suburban illusion as a blanket of dread and anxiety fell over the parents of the town. And every child that knew or knew of Libby and Abby were quickly taught about their own mortality, losing their sense of childhood invulnerability. I know this and I can empathize with this because of Heather Thomas. But back to the story. As time passed, days turning into months, the orange lights that lit the porches of Delphi were turned on each night, but the reward money still sat, undisturbed, waiting to be claimed. But on September 27th, police in Colorado arrested a man. Daniel Nations had been driving with expired Indiana license plates that police said might be linked to the murders. And the following day, police quickly moved naming Daniel Nations a person of interest in the Delphi murder case. But that wasn't all police suspected Daniel of. Investigators also believed Daniel, who would allegedly threaten people with a hatchet on a hiking trail, also might be linked to the murder of a cyclist. The composite sketch by police and Daniel Nations' mugshot were quickly compared, and the similarities were striking. Caitlin Nations... Daniel's wife also noticed the similarities, and when asked if she believed her husband could murder two small girls, she said she didn't know if he was capable or not. Caitlin told Fox 59 in October of 2017, Honestly, I do not want to say that I can see him doing it or not. I had an ultrasound that day and I'm pretty sure he came with me, but I'm not 100% sure. She couldn't remember Daniel's whereabouts on February 13th, but she did know that he didn't have a car to get around in at the time. And Daniel wasn't new to police. In fact, he had a lengthy criminal record. In 2007, Daniel Nations was required to register as a sex offender for indecent exposure in a car parking lot, and later flashed a woman and child who were riding bikes. When Daniel Nations was stationed at Camp Lejeune, he was also charged with indecent exposure four times, and once while he was in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Then again in 2016, the notorious Daniel Nations was convicted of public indecency in Indiana. This time, though, he wasn't flashing unsuspecting individuals, but fondling someone's genitals in a public place. He was also caught masturbating in a women's gas station washroom. By now, almost a year had passed since the murder of Abby and Libby, and state police had been working actively on the case. Daniel Nations could have been a promising suspect with an escalation in his predatory sexual behavior, 
but investigators were no longer concerned with Daniel Nations, but also said, until somebody is arrested, we're interested in almost everybody. And the exhaustive search continued. Abby's family, Libby's family, their friends in the town of Delphi, the state of Indiana, they were all desperate for closure, desperate to have the puzzle completed, for their minds to be put at ease knowing justice had been served, that whoever had taken Abby and Libby's lives would serve time, would be punished and publicly acknowledged for what they did. But as Daniel Nations was cleared for the murder, everyone invested in the case felt hope quickly turned to frustration. But on January 8th, 2019, during an undercover sting operation that had been performed in Union City, Indiana, a 46-year-old named Charles Andrew Eldridge went to meet with a 13-year-old girl for sex, but in true Dateline fashion was instead greeted by an undercover cop. Charles wasn't suspected of the Delphi murders, not right away, not until his mugshot was shown on local news which prompted a flurry of calls into the tip line. In the eyes of the public, he was a dead ringer for the composite sketch of the man caught in the Snapchat post from that terrible day. People began comparing the two, as a unified shout of, It's him, could be heard across Delphi. Investigators were quick to inform the public that they would be investigating a possible link between Abby and Libby and the pedophile Charles Eldridge, who since being arrested was not shy on details or reluctant to open up about his multiple sexual encounters with children under the age of 13. Charles was known in his community as a perverted weirdo who loved guns. Adding to his weirdo reputation, Charles regularly posted to his Facebook pages, of which he had two, about missing children, murder, wanted killers, sex crimes, and even a few stories about Libby and Abby, just days after they were discovered. His Facebook page featured pictures of bloody knives, vultures eating human corpses, and other disturbing photos. But once again, Delphi was disappointed when at the end of January, investigators put Charles to the wayside, as they hadn't found a single clue or any evidence as to whether or not he was involved. A whole two years had now passed since the murders and police were now moving in what they called a new direction. Police had only previously released a single frame of the Snapchat video captured by the girls, featuring the suspect, their likely killer in the background, as well as a remastered version of the audio clip released in 2017. Police hoped that with the new audio clarity and video, someone in the town of Delphi would be able to identify a suspect that matched the gait of the man or his voice and over 1,000 tips came in. But once again, none led to an arrest or a likely suspect. Police also released a new composite sketch of the suspect. This one looked absolutely nothing like the first composite sketch released, and this absolutely shocked the community. This second sketch, oddly enough, wasn't new. In fact, it had been created only a few days after the girls had disappeared. Police had initially told the public they believed the suspect to be in his 40s or 50s. Now they were looking for someone between the ages of 18 and 40. This new sketch showed a clean-shaven man and a leaner face than the previous sketch. And better yet, police were unable or unwilling to explain why it took two years to release the second sketch, or for their change in direction. 
Everyone felt let down, disappointed, angry and sorrowful, knowing and feeling like they had wasted the last two years looking for the wrong man. But time was passing and it was now July 2019 and another suspect jumped to the front of the line. But this time, the suspect was already dead. 55-year-old Paul Etter, who had died in a five-hour standoff with police after asking a woman if she needed help, then following her in his car, then handcuffing her, before taking her back to his home, where he raped her and held her captive for five hours. Police spotted Paul driving a stolen car five days later, and while attempting to pull him over, ended up in a five-hour standoff, which resulted in his suicide. But this, once again, is just another dead end. I'm recording this at the end of May 2020, and we are no closer to answers in regards to who murdered Abby and Libby in Delphi, Indiana. And it makes me think about a certain discussion I had with someone online recently. This individual tried to inform me that all true crime is exploitative, that it requires pain and suffering to work, that people need to die and that we, myself included, profit or find enjoyment off that pain. And it's when I tell you creeps a story like this that my resolve is fortified, knowing that the second these girls are forgotten, the battle is lost. And without telling Abby and Libby's story, as horrible and as tragic as it might be, that's exactly what would happen. We would eventually forget and the case would never be solved. As long as we remember, these were two sweet, innocent girls taken before they could truly discover all that life had to offer, and that there is still a monster out there somewhere who needs to be brought to justice and to answer for what he did. Then there is hope. The orange porch lights of Delphi won't go dark. The reward money one day will be used. One day, I'll be able to record an episode where I can tell you the conclusion of this tragic story. But until then, this case is unsolved. And all I can do is tell it once more so it's not forgotten. If you'd like to see the video of the man and all related content, including the composite sketches, please feel free to join us on Facebook by searching Tales by Cole True Crime Podcast Discussion Group. I will also be leaving the number of the tip line in case anyone listening might know anything. So creep, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in increasing the audience and getting these stories out. And more importantly, Every single five-star review gets me one step closer to getting out of my mother's basement. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by myself, Cole Weavers, and production and editing by Matt Black. And remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the door. (laughs) 